0: From Muhlenberg College, this is 2400 Chew. In each episode of this podcast, we talk to one Muhlenberg graduate about their current work and the industry in which that work is done. For this episode, Tammy Katzoff spoke with Sarah Van Erty, class of 2015, a social worker and social justice educator. As with all of these interviews, the conversation begins by asking how and when Sarah became interested in her occupation.
1: I think I've always been in some way interested whether I knew it or not starting in honestly even you know elementary school I really cared about the environment and I remember starting you know a piggy bank to save the rainforest for example I think I always loved nature and I always wanted to protect it I loved the ocean I loved rock climbing there's definitely this connection to this like beautiful world around us and I think that growing up in New Jersey and and be surrounded by uh, really amazing peers and people that were very dedicated and passionate, I kind of was able to like foster that passion. And then when I went to Muhlenberg, I actually had gone in intending to become a theater major. And I was luckily able to do theater throughout the four years at Muhlenberg. One of the things I loved about Muhlenberg so much is that it allows you to do so many things. And um, that was always kind of my my gift and my curse, because I loved so many things and I wanted to do them all. (laughs) And I was able to with Muhlenberg, so I was able to kind of invest in theater, but also see how theater could be used as a means to communicate certain meaningful messages. And as I started taking psychology courses, because I was also very interested in psychology, I realized that there is a connection between um, having a message you want to share with the world and kind of like social justice and psychology, and learning what the best way is to communicate that message and to share it with others. So I actually, my senior year, got cast in the diversity play. Is that still going on at Muhlenberg, the Stedehi diversity play? Yeah. Um, So I was cast in that my senior year, and that was amazing because it really did connect the things that I was passionate about together. It was communicating through theater about diversity and the need for diversity and the need to talk about diversity. So there were a lot of seeds that I planted, like I said, starting in elementary school and they were kind of able to be fed throughout my life. And at Muhlenberg was kind of the, the place that I had a clarity of vision where all these things I was interested in. And then I realized that the way I could do them all is because they're all connected and there's kind of a, a one, you know, like river where they can all go in. <laughs> and so with the diversity play, I really was touched by that. I got a lot of meaning out of that. And it was really interesting timing because it was also the time that I was applying to social work school for graduate programs. Um, That was my, again, my senior year. So I was kind of looking already to see what would happen next. And also it was during the time that I was creating my self-design major. So I did psychology and then I did gender and sexuality studies, which was wonderful because Muhlenberg allowed me to do that and I had to create this entire, you know, like Um, Statement as to why and and how I would be able to fulfill the course requirements and do all that, and then once I got the green light, I was able to create my own course with um, Professor Peck about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is one of my favorite shows personally, and is one of my favorite shows because it has so many really critical issues in the show that you can talk about when it comes to gender gender dynamics and sexuality. So I was able to really have a unique to me path that was just so fun and so to be able to do the diversity play to be writing a thesis on Buffy the Vampire Slayer to be applying to grad programs for social work it kind of all came together and then post Muhlenberg I got my social work degree um, I was able to study abroad in Argentina and I you know was able to work at an orphanage and work at a school there teaching socio-emotional skills So there was a lot that I was able to continue cultivating, continue exploring. I also love the global aspect. I think that that was another thing that I started at Muhlenberg as well, the uh, Costa Rica program with uh, Professor Niesenbaum. I went on and that was talking about climate change. And I remember specifically looking at Machismal. And climate change and how that manifests in another country like Costa Rica. And, you know, like I said, I went to Argentina with my grad program. And so with all of that, I realized that I want to do global social justice issues. And that's basically how I came upon Global Kids. And I was able to start my job with them within two months after graduating my master's. I basically went from Muhlenberg straight to my grad school
0: and then straight to Global Kids. And I've been working there for years just now. So can you, I mean, I read about Global Kids. I looked at their website and and whatnot. It seems like a really cool organization. For those listening, can you tell us more about the organization and what they do and what you do? So Global Kids, we started in New York
1: City. I think we started in 1970 or 1980. We've been about, I think it's about a 30-year running program now. And we just this year actually won the best nonprofit for overall management in New York. Basically, what we do is we are a, an organization that will go into high schools and middle schools throughout New York City. I think we're in about 27 right now. And we will offer after school programming, oftentimes with social justice issues at their crux. But we also do other kind of community related assistance. So the schools that we're in, there's some called community schools, which mean that they need a little bit more finances or resources. And so with that, we help with vision screening. We help facilitate that. So certain students um, might not be doing well in school, not because they're not smart, but because they can't even really read what's going on in the, on the board. So there, we had a partnership with a glasses company and we were able to bring a doctor into the high school and um, have free glasses and free vision screening. Um, we offer college and career support. Not saying that college is always the means for um, success, and we we offer a lot of options, but we do give students that kind of discussion, and we give a lot of one-on-one support there, too. A lot of the students that we see fall through the cracks, and if they don't have someone um, mentoring them or helping them, then it just perpetuates a system. The school I work in particular is, like I said, in Long Island City. A lot of the students that we see are from under-resourced communities most of the students are students of color, um, coming from a lot of different countries around the world. And so it's really meaningful to see how just building a community together, whether it be through the resources we offer it, throughout the day, like I said, with this vision screening and kind of outreach like that, or our after-school programs, and trying to really show them them, them that there's a place that they can talk about issues that really matter and certain issues that aren't talked about in school. We kind of focus mostly on activism, and that's where I come into play. I write curriculum, and I kind of build my workshops for students around activism and how you can see an issue in the world and and do something about it. So we've gone to rallies. Um, There was one rally two years ago now that was against the Williams Pipeline, which actually made me think of Muhlenberg, because the pipeline was supposed to start in Pennsylvania, go through New York into New Jersey. And there was about a three-year-long battle where a lot of people were resisting, saying that the pipeline would put a lot of harm in our water, it would make the environment less healthy. And so we were able to participate in this march across Brooklyn Bridge. And that was just really awesome because, especially with a lot of division, specifically in the United States, but of course in, in every part of the globe, it's really difficult to maintain positivity or strength while being involved in activist work. And so I really try hard to show students that there is power in it and that it's very easy to look at certain issues and unpack them and then feel really hopeless. Um, But there's also joy in that, again, that community of people that
0: are passionate about something and wanting to make a change. In normal times, Mm -hmm. is most of your work done physically at the school in Long Island City? exactly yes
1: so monday through friday nine to five before the pandemic i would show up at bryant high school and throughout the day i would also see students for one-on-one counseling because of my mental health degree i'm able to offer that as well and then we offer our after-school programming so it feels like i'm a teacher and i in in many ways am because i'm educating students in an after-school program but it's obviously in a different system with different kind of um, boundaries and, and curriculum setting and things like that so Yes, I felt like I was within the school's world.
0: But I do want to talk about your social work degree. First of all, why did you choose to do the master's in social work? Or did you feel that you, need, you needed that for the work that you wanted to do? And secondly, how does what you learned in that grad program translate to what you're doing every day? I think that when I was at Muhlenberg and studying psychology,
1: I was very invested in how to heal from within. And with psychology, it's beautiful because you get to look really within the mind of the human psychology and learn about things like defense mechanisms or coping mechanisms or things that really, you know, equipped me with the ability to then not only help myself in a lot of ways, but help my, um, my now students, the students that I help with, with social work. So I think that the reason I chose a master's in social work, as opposed to many other, um, grad programs, for example, becoming a psychologist or becoming, you know, getting your side D Um, Or even there's a a mental health specific counseling degree you can get um, as a master's. But I think that social work was when I was a senior in um, college, the idea for me was trying to see how I can connect healing within and healing the world and everything that's going on outside as well and connecting those two. Mm -hmm. And I also, I genuinely didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to work um, in some way to kind of be a healer, but I didn't know what that would necessarily look like. And I think social work, was a good way for me to say, well, I'll be in a program for two years that will allow me to be building the skills, for whatever I want to do. And then hopefully it'll it'll come to me at the end. And I got lucky that it did.
0: (laughs) Obviously, everything's changed since the start of the pandemic. Almost every worker's job has changed. So please talk about how your job has changed over the past several months. Global Kids changed a lot because Another key
1: aspect of what we do is we bring students around the world for free. We fund them to do so. And we usually have multiple trips a year. Obviously, that's one of the major things that got changed when the pandemic hit. Um, We had brought a student to Senegal. We had brought a student to um, Spain for COP25, which is climate change related. I particularly went to Argentina and Chile on a boat called Peace Boat, which is a partner of Global Kids. And actually, this fan right here kind of shows the Sustainable Development Goals, which are made by the United Nations. And there's 17 of the goals. One is no poverty, two is zero hunger, four is quality education. And it's kind of the blueprint to talk about global issues and things that we want to strive towards. And because the Sustainable Development Goals is something that Global Kids often integrates into our workshops, I was able to get a scholarship with Peaceboat where I was called the Youth for the Sustainable Development Goals Scholar. And as a representative of Global Kids, I went on Peace Boat, which is a like thousand-person ship. We started in Ushuaia, Argentina. We sailed to Chile. I was able to tell people around the world what I can do with Global Kids. So we were very, very, very active in just the traveling sector <laughs> and meeting people from around the globe. So when we, in March, shut down our school, we've been working remotely ever since. We actually never stopped, which I'm very, very, very grateful for every single day. Um, Global Kids did an incredible job at figuring out how to still maintain relationships with students and still find purpose in the work that we do. So our school has, I think, about 2,700 kids, which always blows my mind because that's, if I'm not mistaken, larger than Muhlenberg, right? Or about the same uh, size. Yeah, no, it's bit, it's bigger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so especially yeah. for me, I mean, I, yeah, I'm used to the Muhlenberg campus and, you know, then going into a high school that has four floors and it has more students than that. Still, really does blow me away. And so, out of those, you know, twenty seven hundred or so kids, we serviced a lot. I mean, we saw hundreds of students in various capacities, and in our programs themselves. You know, we lead multiple programs, and I didn't even mention this one yet, but I also lead an LGBTQ support group. So that has about ten or so students. My human rights group had twenty to thirty students, and we really did just pivot and find ourselves on Google Hangouts at first, and then we found ourselves on Zoom. Mm -hmm. And we've been lucky that a lot of the students are still really excited by having that kind of space. And even though they must be Zoom fatigued at this point from doing school remotely, basically since March, they still show up and they still want to talk to us about, you know, Black Lives Matter, about the kind of activism issues that have been happening since the pandemic, the way the pandemic has been impacting people differently depending on their community and, and things like that. So it's been a testament to how well our executive director, Evie, has kind of led Global Kids. She didn't furlough anyone. She didn't allow anyone to lose their job, even amidst a lot of, you know, of course, we're a nonprofit. So we had to, you know, figure out how to make some things work. But the whole time, not a single person from Global Kids had to go on unemployment. And it feels like, you know, I wake up still Monday through Friday, nine to five. And just instead of getting on a subway for an hour, I log on to my computer and and I do a lot of the same work just, just virtually.
0: So I want to just pause and talk about the the nonprofit world in general and how that has been affected by the pandemic, but also how nonprofit organizations are having to pivot and figure out other ways, because I'm sure funding has been affected drastically for various organizations. Can you talk about what nonprofit organizations have had to do and will continue to have to do to be able to survive? Yeah, absolutely. And
1: I think. Um, I was actually I was lucky enough to work um, through a couple of nonprofits, just via internships, basically, um, mm-hmm. in New York City as well. I worked for the Alley Forney Center for a year, which is a homeless shelter for LGBTQ youth and things like that. So I, I luckily have been able to see a couple of nonprofits and how they work. Um, and I think that there's no doubt that, you know, the pandemic hitting has had a drastic impact on funding. And also in New York City specifically, there was a big budget cut to a certain funding for schools and education, which we obviously took a certain hit from as well. And so I think that we do focus a lot on trying to be effective with the resources we do have and um, try to make the most of it. I mean, we had a traveling budget, for example, that obviously we then used for <laughs> different things since the pandemic started. So um, yeah, I really do think that Certain government funding was helpful, like the PPE loan we were able to receive. So I mostly we, yeah, we base our work off of contracts with the school and kind of government funding and then individual funding and fundraisers throughout the year. Mm-hmm. We have an annual 5K. We have a lot of kind of events that we have that we are able to fundraise a lot of money as well. But yeah, it's definitely been a struggle. And I think that it's also just speaking to how many Global Kids staff are Really, in it, because they're passionate about it,
0: for us to have been able to stay as strong as we have been. What are the most challenging aspects of your job, and what are the most rewarding parts of your job? I think
1: the most challenging is that there's about a hundred hats you have to wear, and you have to really decide every day on which ones you can <laughs> prioritize and put on in any given day. And I think that it's it's something that I also love about the job is that there's so many different things that you do. and, Um, specifically, again, for me as a mental health professional, I offer that social work support that is severely underrepresented in the school system. I mean, for 2,700 students, unfortunately, I'm one of the only social workers at the school. Yeah. And there's some guidance counselors and there's another mental health organization that's a partner with the school as well, who has one or two people that offer that kind of support, but by no means is it enough. And so, you know, every day I'm working on the college support to help students apply to college i'm helping with mental health crises which of course have been exacerbated because of the pandemic um mm-hmm. and issues have looked a lot different a lot of students are food insecure a lot of students um have even like lost gas in their home there's a lot of things that are going on that are really challenging to not be able to be present with them physically sure. and that has been a huge challenge and uh, also reaching students, um, you know, before you can kind of find them in the school or talk to them candidly. But now if you don't have a phone number to call them or the phone number doesn't work, you feel very kind of helpless and you want to be able to be there for them. And yeah, I think that that kind of can transition into the things that I celebrate about the job, which is that I, I really do look forward to every single day. And I look forward to the work I get to do because it is kind of a intersection between the micro work that I found my love for at Muhlenberg with psychology, where I, I you know, will have a student for an hour on a virtual session, and we talk just us two confidential, and it feels like very amazing to ha- kind of help with the healing moment there, but then also transition into a Black Lives Matter workshop and talk about how that affects the community around us, and that also um, shows up in other parts of the world. It just maybe manifests differently. And that is more of the macro healing. So I get to do the micro healing and I get to do the macro healing. And that's the thing that I love the most about it.
0: (laughs) For someone listening, whether it's a a Muhlenberg student or an alum or anyone else who wants to do what you do and doesn't really know how to go about it um, Mm -hmm. or is looking for advice, what recommendations or suggestions or guidance would you give that person? So for whoever is listening, I I think that the thing I've learned.
1: my wise age of 27 years old <laughs> is that you really can do work in your life that is filled with something you care about. It doesn't have to be something that will make you feel burnt out. Of course, every profession has its challenges and it's, you have to be mindful yourself of keeping that balance and staying um, you know, as happy and healthy as you're able to. But if you have anything that you really care about, then you can make that happen in your career and your job again, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I just knew that I loved um, talking to people about things that matter, which to me is, again, kind of social justice related issues on a local and global level and traveling. And now I work for a place called Global Kids, where we take kids around the world and talk about social justice issues. And I didn't even know that existed until I was out of school. Mm -hmm. So I think that you really can take whatever light you have in yourself and feed it and make it bigger and find a way to also get paid by doing that.
0: So is there is there anything you know now at the ripe old age of 27 that you, <laughs> that you wish you knew coming off the graduation stage at Muhlenberg? I wish I knew that there was a way you can go
1: about your career that doesn't even have to be scripted by society um in a way that you know when we grow up we're like I want to be this job and that's what it'll look like and that's what I believe it will look like. I have this kind of like schema in my brain of what that will be. And it doesn't have to be that. You know, I think that I would have loved to know that I can really just stay present with the things that I was doing and trust that it would find its way as opposed to worrying so much about it or allowing my anxiety to get out of hand about it because I really do look back at my life and say everything I did brought me here and I'm for better and for worse. And also like the good and the bad, it all brought me here. And that's, that's okay. And that's good.
0: This episode of 2400 Chew was recorded remotely and produced and engineered at the studios of WMUH Allentown, Pennsylvania. Our opening and closing music from Cowboy Bebop was performed by the Muhlenberg College Jazz Big Band.